I think we pulled it off today. Did we praise him? We praised him. This was our watch. You know, when you praise the Lord, you just need to get aware. It's your time to praise the Lord. You praise him. Praise him hard. Praise him what he's worthy of. You know? And we did it this morning. We praised him. I think he was happy with it. I think he, I, I was. I enjoyed it. We, he and I were enjoying it. And I, I, think, uh, I think we all did together. Um, but number one, he wants us to, us to see the need for a greater experience of his love. We need to see that. We're going to uh, do that. And then we need to feel a hunger and desire to know his love. Because how many of you know that hunger is the key to fulfillment? What did Jesus say about the hungry? That they're blessed because they what? They will be filled. Is it possible in Jesus' economy to be hungry and then never be filled? That's not what he said, is it? Now, the world kind of tells you this other story, but Jesus said, look, you get hungry, you get filled. And so if we hunger and thirst after his righteousness, we will be filled. It's a promise. So, so he wants us to get hungry. And finally, he wants us to choose today, to make choices. And so I'm going to come back to those things because... That's what I'm going to drive at with the message. And it's what we're going to work at together. And then when we come back at the end, we'll kind of look at those. Um, but I want to give, I want to work off of a principle today. I just want to, uh, I'm not going to tell you anything probably you haven't heard before, but I want to assemble it in such a way that we can, uh, I think it's going to do something to us. Uh, I saw something about, I don't know, five, six years ago. I was down at the beach. Uh, on vacation and I was sitting out in the morning and having a little quiet time and I just saw it. I just, it came to me. It suddenly dawned on me. I've had people tell me this all the time that you need to be devoted to God. You know, we have a friend who's gone on to be with the Lord uh, who has marked all our lives and he used to just, that's all he ever said. He would just, anytime you talk to him, he'd say, you need to be devoted to God. You need to be devoted to God. He would just... You know, he was just on that all the time. And, and I would say, yeah, brother, you're right. Mm-hmm, that's it. But I, something happened one morning. It dawned on me. I saw it. I saw it clearly. You know, if you're devoted to God, if you get that one thing working, the rest of your life will work. Do you, do you get that? That no matter what else you're trying to do, all the things you have in mind, your dreams, your aspirations, whatever, if you get the one thing going, if you get it plugged into God, connected to Him, all that other stuff is going to just flow from that. Now, the other side is, if you don't get that one thing working, if, there's, if it's to the, the degree to which it's not working, is the degree to which your life isn't going to work. And you can be rolling in money and success and all that other stuff that the world calls you know, satisfaction and, and a good life, but if you don't have that thing with God, who cares? It's not going to matter. You're going to find it empty at the end of the day. Amen? So, so I kind of just, I don't know, it just dawned on me. Maybe I'm a little, I'm slow, you know, my lightning fast mind. And I, but I find, I got it. I saw that. And so I started to pursue the Lord, started to pursue a, a, a life of devotion to the Lord. And what I discovered is that the real key is not even, because if you, if you come at that, if, if you think about, okay, I needed to be devoted to the Lord, then it kind of puts this intense pressure on you to kind of, you know, Pull up the bootstraps and, okay, now it's just one more thing on my plate. Now I've got to go do this and be a committed Christian. You know, you have to say that with your teeth gritted. But that's not it at all. What I found is we've got to love God. Isn't that what Jesus said? They said, hey, what's the biggest thing? What's the greatest thing? He said, 
love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law, all the prophets hang on these two things. So let me ask you this. If I could give you a magic pill. We all, we, everybody likes a pill these days. If I could give you a magic pill that would make that happen for you. That you take it and all day long you are loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're loving your neighbor as yourself. How many of you would sign up for a pill? I think I would. <laughs> I'd be buying some pills. Uh, I know what that is. I know the key to that. I know I found that thing. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I found out what will turn the trick. You know, everybody's looking for the silver bullet, you know, that'll solve everything. And I'm pretty cynical when it comes to that. I don't think there's any one thing that can solve anything. But this is one of them. This is about the only one I know of. So I want to, I want to share it with you this morning. And I'm just going to quote you this, but you may want to write it down. as 1 John 4.19. Very simply says this, we love because he first loved us. That is a principle that is so weighty. It can turn our lives right side up. We love because. You see, if, if we agree together that what Jesus said is true, that the greatest command is to love God and to love your neighbor, and that all the law, all the prophets, all the, everything we're talking about all hangs on those two commands. If that's so, then if we get loving right, we've got it all right. Amen? We're all, the reason we're here together is because we serve the king and we're all just trying to live this thing out, right? And that's what church is for. Do not give up the, the assembling of yourselves together, you know, and let's spur one another on. Towards love and good deeds. We're trying to find out how to work this thing out. I just want to put my finger this morning on this one thing. And I, uh, you know, I'm speaking from a ground of, uh, Greg is big on, you got to have moral authority. You know, you have to have something. This is something that is working in my life. I'm just telling you, I've just come at it the hard way. I wish somebody had set me down and gave me this pill. I kind of had to discover it. As my friends all know, you know, they've watched me struggle through that. But I, I want to just give it to you this morning. And I believe it will... As, as God has said, what's in his heart is to create a hunger that says, I'm, I'm not going to do I'm not going to quit until I get what he's talking about right there. OK, we love because he first loved us. What I want to tell you is uh, the name of the sermon this morning is love power, not love power. I'm not going to teach you to love power. We've got enough people who do that. But love power, a life powered by love. We love because he first loved us. The impetus, the genesis, the, the spring of my love toward God and towards others comes from, come on, his love for me. It's a response. How many of you know you don't have love in you? What does 1 John 4, 7 and 8 say? You know, love comes from God. Did you know that? This agape that we're talking... Now, this other worldly love, everybody's got that, right? You can see it in every Hollywood movie. Sappy love and whatever, and selfish love. and You know, it's so, it's so selfish. You look at the way people use the word love today, and it's like, you know... Uh, they say, oh man, love, love... What is love? And one guy said, oh, it's, it's, the way, it's the way she makes me feel when I see her walk in the room. Or when I see her move a certain way. That's what that visual image does for you, pal. That's about you and not her at all. 
You have no care, concern whatsoever for her. You see how far distant that is from real love? This kind of agape love doesn't originate in here. I know, I've tried to work it up before. I've tried to squeeze it out. It doesn't come out because it's not in there. You know that? It doesn't originate with us. Love comes from God. And we love because he first loved us. Amen? Are we, is, is that clear? Now, if we can get a hold of that, what does that mean? That means that if we can somehow zero in on this love God has for us, if we can somehow, can we make God love us more? No. Okay. Can we, you know, what can we do? I believe we can get more in tune with that love. I believe we can, we can focus on and come to know, and that's what we're going to talk about in a minute, how to come to know the love of God. Knowing his love is what causes us to love in return. Have you, do you ever, are you ever in situations where you're kind of shocked at your own apathy? You know, the little commercial comes on TV with a little hungry child. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want to see another one of these. And you think, oh, what, what, you know, that's just the hungry child. That's, Jesus cares about that. What, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us a lot of times is that we, we're, we're missing that. It's, I call it the engine room. It's the engine room of our spirit. The Bible says, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. And out of it come all the issues. That in your heart, down in that engine room, down in your love thing, is where we live out of. And so if it grows cold, as, what does the scripture say? It's a terrible warning. He says, in the end, I tell you, the love of most will what? It's going to grow cold, man. So be careful. And so we, what we're going to do is kind of zero this morning and zero in on, on, uh, on his love. We love because he first loved us. It's a response. Um, and his love, when we, when we contact it, it, I mean, do you, do you know what I'm saying? That there are times when you're more aware of his love than other times. It's possible to, for him to love you and yet you be largely unaware of it. I mean, there are plenty of moments throughout the day where you're, you're just out of touch with that. Uh, so if it's possible to be unaware, it's possible to be more aware. And the scriptures are replete with references where he says, I want you to know his love better. I want you to know his love more. I want you to be in tune with that in more clarity and more reality and more experience. Hey, baby. So we're going to talk about that. Um, Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he said, I am compelled to preach. Why? The love of Christ compels me. So you could, you look at all the work that Paul did. You could hang his motivation on this one thing right here. It's the love of Christ. Compels me. See, Paul was in touch. Man, I'm a sinner. I, I was persecuting the church. But he loved me. He, out of just his own goodness and kindness and mercy, came and showed up one day on the road to Damascus, knocked me down, and showed me mercy. How he loves me. So he, he, that love compelled him to preach. So we, we're going to try to tap into that uh, this morning. Look at Ephesians 3. Everybody all right? We're a little quiet. It's okay. There's only a few of them. Yes, you've got to make like twice the noise. How many of you know, and we were talking about this, the leadership. I, 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 we were talking about this, about engaging the speaker. In the NCMI churches, 
the, whenever they have like a leadership training time, you'll see this. The leaders generally sit on the front and they are in a constant conversation with the speaker. And it doesn't, st- it doesn't stop the speaker at all. It, it's like saying sick them to a dog. And the speaker says, yeah, and they're like, that's it, buddy. No, you're on that thing. Go ahead, hit that one more time. Come on, give us that thing. You know, we're doing this together. Because when we walk out of here, it's about how have we all changed our lives. Amen. It's not about how well did Lance carry off the speech. It's not that at all. So, you know, I just encourage you, blow the lid off. Let's interchange. Let's interact because when we get done, we want to have arrived at something. We're working together. Um, Here's Ephesians 3. He says in uh, such a good prayer. He says in 16, 316, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's our inheritance right there, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man. His spirit in your inner man. That's how he strengthens you. And what's the strength? So that, so that Christ may dwell, may abide in your hearts through faith. And look at this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. This is where the power, where we need power. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What he's saying is I'm praying. I I just keep praying this prayer and here's how it goes. I say, God, give them power. I mean, establish them in love. But after even they're established in love, give them power with all the saints to grasp the dimensions of the love of Christ. Uh, we've, we had a word come out. I think Sue Hobbs shared it a couple of weeks back. And it was just, she had a mental image of, of her going down to the ocean and the vast ocean. And uh, she would, you know, take a dip and come back and then come back and take a big drink and go down and jump in. But still, no matter if you just dove in, there's still this vast ocean that you're never, ever, ever, ever going to see it all. You know, you could never say, I know the ocean. You know, that's what this is. He says, I'm just praying that you'll have this power. What I want you to see from this is that it's not an easy thing. It's not a finite, direct thing. It is the thing that God is striving at. He's trying to get you to know his love. And we've got to be, you see how Paul was in cooperation with God saying, I'm praying that you will have that power. How then shall we react? We ought to say, okay, God, I'm working on it. I want to know the love. I want to grasp the dimensions of Christ's love. And I want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Those, both those words, know and knowledge, are that uh, uh, you know, experiential knowledge. In other words, he's saying, I want you to know the unknowable. I want you to get that. That his love is out there, man. It's, you know, people, they ask me all the time, what are you going to preach on? And they say that kind of with a smile because they know I'm going to preach on love. I'm on that. That's God until he lets me off the hook. That's all I can say. Because it's, it's like the unsung, most important thing in the whole world. And we don't hear enough about it. Which, hey, good thing coming. I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's a, a sermon series coming up. Greg's doing Father's Heart. I think is what he's calling it. Four weeks. It's going to be intense. But it's going to be around the love of God. Um, which is, may also be the reason why God, I think, is trying to set us up to receive that. Um, but... Uh, we need power to know the unknowable love. Do you hear what he's saying? 
How many of you know like the peace that passes your understanding? You know that when you're in the middle of something, you can't figure it out, and it's just totally berserk around you. God comes into that situation, and it's peace. And people say, how can you be? You say, I don't know. I don't understand. It's past my understanding. It's the peace of God that passes my understanding. Well, this is the love that's past, that you're supposed to know that's past your knowing. That's why we need power. That's why we need Paul to pray for us. That's why we need other people to pray. That's why we need to work at it. Because it's not just, oh yeah, I know it. I've heard that thing on love. Yeah. Okay, Lance, yeah, we've heard the thing. Love, good. I got it. I checked love off my list. No, no, no. This is the thing. It's so unsearchable. It's so big. But what I know is, if you just know it a little bit, you know, like Jesus said, if you've got a faith like a, just a little mustard seed thing, you can blow a mountain away. Here's what I found out. If you just touch that love a little bit, it will revolutionize your life. I mean revolutionize. It gets crazy. So we, we need to see, number one, that it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, something that we have to do. It's something that we're going to, it's a lifelong struggle, a lifelong kind of pursuit. It's, it, you're never going to plumb the depths of the ocean. But it doesn't mean you should live in the desert. Go down and dive in and swim as hard for the coastline, you know, as far as the, the opposite coastline as you can. Just jump in the, jump in the, the love of his, the ocean of his love. Um, and we respond to this love. Uh, and I, I just want to give you a real life example. And I'm going to tell you this story. It comes out of Luke 7. Uh, I, I don't want to read it. I just want to tell you the story because it's such a wonderful picture of the difference between somebody who's lo- in love with God and standing on, I call it standing under the spout of his love. If I could, this morning, if I could wave a magic wand and just get you to do one thing and we could quit and go home right now. If I could just, if, if, if something in your mind and heart would change and you'd say, you know, I'm going to commit the rest of my life. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to build my life around this one thing. I'm going to get under the spout of God's love and I'm just going to drink hard as I can. If, if, if you could somehow get that in your priority system, man, I'd just quit. And we, it, it'd, it'd be great. That's what, we're, that's what I'm driving at this morning. I want us to all get to that place. I'm praying that God will get us there. But I want to show you this in a real life example of a... Uh, it's the story of the sinful woman who comes into... Uh, Simon the Pharisee has, has uh, invited Jesus over for dinner after... Jesus has insulted the Pharisees pretty heavily. And so Simon is a little bit at a distance. Jesus comes in and uh, traditionally, you know, your honored guests come in. What do you do? You come up, you kiss them, you put oil on their head, you wash their feet. You say, please have the best seat and it's all good. The Bible says that Jesus just went into dinner and reclined at the table. So he was there reclining. So Simon had not done any of these things. He, 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 he was having a little, you know, he wasn't sure. The jury was still out on Jesus as far as Simon was concerned. Uh, but there was a sinful woman in that city who heard that Jesus was there. Now, when I say to you, oh, there's a sinful woman living here. You know, we don't think, oh, she's cheating on her taxes. You know, we know what you mean by that. You know, when I say that, you, you kind of, you know, you know what we're talking about. And so she was one with a reputation for being that way. And yet, 
somewhere previously she had encountered the grace of God, Jesus, and forgiveness and love. And somehow she had gotten a hold of that. And so when she heard Jesus was in town, it says that she went there. Now, and you got to get this. She was into a Pharisee's house. What kind of guts does that take? To just blow, just, hey, I don't care what they say, you know, because you know the minute you walk in, you know, they know who she is. And so, but she did anyway. She came in and she brought this alabaster bar, jar of perfume. And it says that she stood behind his feet weeping. And as she just, just, just weeping. Isn't that wonderful? Just weeping, just, just love Jesus, just didn't feel worthy, and, but couldn't, she just couldn't help herself. Do you see what's happening? She heard he was here and she just, it's like almost a force field. She grabs her jar of alabaster and she's like, I've got to get in there. And you know, I'm sure all her friends were going, hey, hey, don't go in there. What are you nuts? Do you know what they're going to say as soon as you walk in? I mean, that's the fairest, that's Simon's house. But something in her just drove her. She's like, I gotta go. I gotta go. And she goes and, and she's got her little jar of perfume and she just, hadn't even, just can't even start. She's just crying on his feet. And she sees that her feet, her, her tears are popping the dust off his feet. And so she, she gets down and she starts to wipe with her hair and kiss the feet. And then she starts to pour on the... You know, she is lost in honor and adoration. of the, She's just... Just and I, there are times of profound worship where I get on Jesus' feet and I don't turn loose. I'm down on the floor and I'm just like, I love your feet, you know. And she was there. She was just right down in there, just had her hair. You know what I'm? Can you kind of get this long hair and in the in a perfume? It was just a spectacle. And uh, Simon's reaction was. If he were really a prophet, which I was suspect when he came in because he had already just bashed the Pharisees. But now, I, you know, this pretty, clen- pretty much clinches it. He, if he knew that she was what we know she is, he'd never be allowing that. And that's when Jesus said, Simon, come here. I want to tell you a story about a couple of money lenders. One of them owed a few bucks. One owed, you know, a million bucks. They were both forgiven. Who do you think would love the money lender more? Simon said, well, and had no idea. You know, you got to love Simon. He's just blank. He had no, you know, that's why Jesus was like, you guys are blind. You're blind people. He said, uh, the one that uh, was forgiven more, I guess. And he said, and it says, he turned to the woman and he looked at Simon and he said, Simon, do you see this woman? Who, and she was just down there working the feet, you know. He said, look at, look at this woman down at my feet. He said, when I came into your house, you didn't give me a kiss. This woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. He said, you didn't wash my feet when I came to your house as your invited guest. This woman is washing my feet with her tears. He said, you didn't, you didn't put any oil on my head? You know, customary to have the fragrant... Well, he said, this woman is busting out her best alabaster perfume on my feet. He said, I tell you, Simon, she, it's clear that she has been forgiven because she loved much. 
But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. The difference between the woman and Simon is the difference between knowing. Now, let me ask you, did, did Simon, was he, was he a sinner? Yeah. Were the Pharisees sinners? You better believe it. And I mean, in Jesus' economy, we're worse sinners than the prostitutes and the drunkards. Huh? When you, uh, who did he have hard words for? Did, did he ever bust the, the drunkards? Did he ever say, you old prostitutes, what's wrong with you people? But he had harsh words for those Pharisees. And so they were sinners. But you know, Simon was out of touch with the fact that he needed forgiveness. He was out of touch with the fact that when he goes to the temple and he puts a little blood in the whole thing, that he has been forgiven for his many sins. He, just did, he, he was disconnected from that. She was in full connection to that. She knew. She, was, she had felt the mercy of God and experienced and known the love that's unknowable. And it put, a, it put an impetus in her step. She said, I just can't not go. I have to go. And, I, you know, and I'm sure when she got there and all the cold stairs... But she looked down and as her tears dropped on the feet, you know, she may have had second thoughts. I don't know, but I want to tell you, she could not stop herself. She had to love that man. It's the difference. Now, did she spend hours a day studying the Torah? No. Did she go to the synagogue and the holy place and do all the religious rites that that Pharisee did? No. But man, somehow she got it. She got it. And he didn't. Hours of prayer. Prayer. The Bible says that the Pharisee stood up and he prayed to himself. It's not so much about prayer and Bible study, although you'll find yourself doing much, much more of that once you're into his love. It's about experiencing that love. And do you see what a... What a power source she had. He didn't have it. She had it. He was right there with... And and it was customary. It was the proper thing. To love on Jesus. To, you know, shake his hand and put the oil and greet him and wash the feet and, you know, kiss. He didn't even do that. He didn't have... Inside there was not... There wasn't anything in there to cause him to do that. Do you see that? This is what I'm talking about. This is the difference. And we as Christians can be precisely the same way. We can, our, that, that apathy that shocks us, that, that the times when we feel we, when we're not compassionate, it's because down in here, it's not that, you know, that you're uh, uh, defective. It's just there's nothing in there that makes you, it's the, it's the parable of the, um, the Good Samaritan. Remember? Priest walked by, saw bleeding man, nothing inside. There was nothing in him that caused it, that made him stop. He just was able to just go, well, mm-hmm, I might get unclean, I'll have to go. Levite, same thing. But when that Samaritan came by, there was something inside of that man that forced him to stop. See, he didn't have to go to a, a seminar on how to do good works. He didn't have to write it down and make it his little checklist and pull his bootstraps up and go, I'll just, you know, I don't want to help that guy, but I'm going to. No, 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 no. 
There was something down in there. And that's what I'm talking about. When the love of God comes into us, it has to come out of us. And as Christians, when we hear the commands to love our neighbor and we attempt to love, but we can't make ourselves do it. It's, it's not that you're not a good enough Christian or that you're not well practiced enough or that you're not committed. It's that you're missing the power source. Now, we've all been forgiven. Amen. We have all been shown great grace. We're all big time sinners. If you don't, if you can't say okay to that, then we'll need to have a separate class with you. Because uh, that's, you know, man, God has forgiven me of all that we've, that I've done and, and you as well. But it's being in touch with that. You see, it's not the reality. It was the fact that the, that the Pharisee didn't know how much he had been forgiven. He didn't perceive. He had no experience. She'd had plenty of experience. See, because she used to be the sinful woman. And still to the people there, she was still known as the sinful woman. But she knew down inside of her somewhere, no, I'm seen in heaven as Forgiven. This man has forgotten all my stuff. He's wiped it out and said, I'm all right. See, that causes joy to rise up. And, and you, the, you have to treat another. You have to love. That's why it was such a heinous sin in the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember? Where the one guy got forgiven of big things and he went out and you know, was choking the guy over five bucks. The king said, no, sir. No, sir. I forgave you all that. What's wrong with you? That's a strong parable where our grace is revoked. How about some of that? Because it's, it's heinous that when you've got that forgiveness, when you've received that, when it's been given you and you're in tune with it, you have to show the similar grace and the similar love to other people. We respond in love to God first. Amen? Because when he, man, he dumps out, you're like, oh, you do love me. Oh, I love you too. He says, I give you my son. You say, I give you my life. And it's a, it's a love exchange. But it also comes out in our, our relationship with others. Because um, here's a challenge. I used to get a lot of this, uh, you know, it was kind of a tug of war. People say, well, you know, just loving God uh, isn't enough or loving people. You know, some people were too focused on loving God. Some people were too loving. I commend to you that if you try to do either of them well, you must do the other. The two are linked. Right? Because when you say, if I say, Richard, I love you, man. I, what can I do for you? What do you care about? What's interesting? What, you know, what, what can I do for you? Well, he immediately will say, well, I, you know, I, what about my family? You know, if you'd, if you'd just take care of them, if you'd help them. I see in his eyes the love he has for his family. Same way with God. You ask God, God, what are you up to? What do you love? What's, what's your passion? What's your dream? How can I love you? How can I serve you? What can, if I could do something for you, what would that be? He's got tunnel vision on us. He loves us. And so when you go to loving God, you, you're not going to hole up in a room and just be a worship freak. You know? There's people who think, you know, yeah, I'm just going to hold it. No, God will say, go out there and help that guy. Because that's my son. I'm okay up here, hey? You know, I'm all right. Why don't you go help that guy? We say, oh, Jesus, I just want to hug your neck. He says, well, hug his neck because he needs one. Whatever you've done to the least of these of mine, you do that for me. I'd rather you hug my son's neck than my neck because when you do that, you do me. See, 
So when you go to God, he's going to point you right back at the church and the world. It's the way it works. And his love, as you get to be with him, his love will get contagious. How he feels about them is how you feel about them. You know, I used to be fairly cynical on the church. I know I'm alone in that. Uh, None of you holy people would ever do such a thing. But I I used to be fairly cynical uh, on the church. But I love her. I love the church, man. That's that's the bride. That's who Jesus... That's uh, you asked, You talk to Jesus long and he says, I'm just thrilled about my people. I love them. So how can you be cynical on them? How can you judge your brother, you know? So you love them. And here's one. Here's a cool little verse. It's also, that, you know, the book of 1 John will help you a long way because it's all about this, this love we're talking about. But in, uh, in chapter 4... Uh, the same passage we were talking about. He says something like this. Look, he says, this is love. This here, right here, is love. Not that we love God. It didn't start with us, did it? But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He came to bring us to himself. He came to rescue us. He's my rescuer. Amen. And dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete among us. Uh, If you love your brother, God is living in you. You want to be complete and full? Love your brother. So you you can't do one without the other. Now, let me go to the practicals and we'll quit. Um, Is everybody all right? Are we seeing it? What I'm, what I'm driving for is a change of life. Is, is to cha- I'm telling you, Paul was praying, I, they need the power to do this. And I'm telling you, until you change something, you're, gonna, you're not going to get the love of God. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Something's got to change. That's what I'm after, is change. I, I just believe God is saying to us, no, come on, change something. Because it's not about... Do I know him or not? Is it a binary thing? Yes, I either I do or I don't. No, it's about knowing him better. Huh? I mean, how many of you know him fully? Everybody knows God here just completely and have plumbed the depths of God. Okay, so we all have room. So what we're looking for is, here's what he said. He wants you to see the need for the greater experience of the love of God. Can you see that? I, I'm just telling you my personal experience. When I saw that, my feet got busy. I, I suddenly was like... Okay, I have to do something. Uh, I was pretty radical. I talked to a young man and we would get up at 5.30 in the morning and go down to the church and we'd pray every morning. And uh, it worked for me. You know, the first three and a half weeks, I was only there physically, I must admit. The old body does not like to take those kind of commands. But after a while, body will submit and... uh, I'll tell you, it got, it got me on this road to knowing his love. And it has just opened so much. So we need to see the need for a greater experience. We need to feel the hunger and desire uh, to, uh, to know his love and to live a life that springs out of that love. What is your, what's in your engine room? What drives you? What's down in there? Are you driven by ambition? Driven by a need for success or approval from somebody? You're still trying to please dad? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) 
I better get over that. Uh, we need to live. What's in your engine room should be love. Because when, when love compels you, you, could you hear that in Paul's voice all the time? He was doing a lot of work and was getting thrown in the ocean and, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But he, he just seemed okay with it. He seemed to have this joy and this drive and this, uh, you know, something that was like it was okay. Because he had something in the engine room. He had something down in there. And I, I believe it's the love of Christ that compelled him that makes it all okay. So we, we need a hunger to have that in there. And hey, uh, it, it occurs to me that maybe the first step to doing that is to, just to admit. Just to say, you know, I, I don't live in a constant um, awareness of how much he loves me. And uh, I could use a little shot of that. You know, I got hungry. I got desperate. It's the hungry who get filled. Not the ones who say, you know, that might be nice. Well, good luck with that. But when you get crazy desperate, you say, God, if you don't give me this, I'm going to die. It, it comes. And finally, to make a, make a choice, to, to choose. Let me give you some practicals on that. Um, number one, set your priority. It's the best thing you can do. The... Heaven is run on decisions. Do you know decisions are the are like the currency of heaven? You know, in the parable of the um, lost sheep, lost son, all those lost parables. He says, you know, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's a decision to come home again. It's a decision to turn. No, I'm going to do that. You know, it's it, you're not measured by your your knowledge your you know, brain knowledge, you're measured by your decisions, by what you choose to do and what you do. So a decision is, a, is, is the first thing. So set a priority in your heart and mind. I'm going to, this was the way it, I said it to myself. I said, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to do this. If I don't get anything else right, this is one thing I'm going to get right. In my life, I'm going to have a heart devoted to God and everything else is up for interpretation. That's one thing I'm going to get. And it just, I just made that choice. And it was amazing how powerful that choice uh, was for me. Um, so set your priority. Make it your all-surpassing goal. Uh, because if you do this one thing, you if you get the love of God, you fulfill the Ten Commandments, you fulfill the Two Commandments, you fulfill the One Commandment. You know, the, the commandment to love. But you can't do it without the love. We love because He first loved us. Got to have it. And uh, I heard a preacher say this once, and it, uh, I took issue with it. He said, he was preaching, it was a good little sermon, but he kind of missed the whole point of it. He said, you know, those, those Olympic athletes, you watch them, you know, they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they go, and they drive, and they practice, and they work all day, and they eat just right, and they do all this thing. And, you know, they're able to do that just to win some little gold medal. But, you know, we Christians, we're, you know, we've, we're going to win the crown of life, but we're just... We can't even do that. We can't even, be, you know, what, what we need is more discipline. You see, they have discipline and we don't have discipline. And that's the difference between the Olympian and us is they have discipline. I was like, you missed that entirely. What that guy, what that Olympian has is a dream. He has something inside of him that he says, I want that. I'm hungry, baby. I'm, do you see that gold? I'm having gold. There's something inside him. And so when the pain comes of getting up at four in the morning, he's like, okay, you know, this is not fun, but I can live with it because I'm I'm, I, can, I can see myself standing on the number one and playing my anthem and I'm wearing gold on my neck. There's, there's something in that. Now, that's what Christians are lacking. 
We're missing what this thing is. It's the pursuit of God. It's the kingdom. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's the dream of that thing. It's that motivation. It's the power source, the engine room. That's what we're missing. The dirt. Because then, hard times come, it's okay. Because I, I know where I'm going. So set your goal to know this love that's unknowable. That's a lofty goal. And, uh, and finally, take some concrete steps. Here are a few suggestions. Number one, do something different devotionally. You know, or do something devotionally in you know, case you're not doing anything currently. Uh, do something different. It's, what we did, we asked the question, we asked it like this. We said, God, and we met, and we would just sit with a pencil and wait for a long time on the Lord. You know, we were kind of a little bit radical, but uh, we just said, God, how can I build my life around knowing your love? What can I do? What are the things that make me hot toward you? What are the things that make me cold toward you? And you know, it's funny. In the, in the split second that I asked those two questions, I can see it on your face. You know exactly what those are. And they, they're still there. You know what makes you hot towards God. And you know what makes you cold towards God. I mean, it takes a little thought and you can process it. But I'm just telling you, Holy Spirit's already covered a few of those with you. And, it, it, you know, it's amazing when you start saying, okay, yes, God... Cold things are going to go. Hot things going to stay. And I'm going to make more of the hot things. So what else, is, what else makes me hot? I found out uh, when, I, when I asked that of the Lord, I thought he would say, well, you know, read your Bible a lot more and pray more. But you know what was, he did say those things, but they weren't top on his list. You know what's the first thing he said? He said, you need to be with other brothers who are fired up, like-minded, and who are Going after God. That does you. Just me, This is just me personally. I'm not saying this is for everybody. But I'm just saying this is what the Lord said to me. Was you need to be with other people who are, who are, who are going after God. So I've learned on that. I said okay. I'm going to crank that up. That's why I'm always latching on to these guys. Going hey can, can, can we meet? Can we meet? You know. Because I, uh, it, that's what helps me. And you have your own formula. God will share with you. He's got a plan for you. He'll tell you. Some of you it may be worship. You may just need to get lost three hours in worship, you know, one Friday, you know, once a week, something. But change something. Make a change until you know his love. Uh, new and different devotional focus. Uh, get a prayer partner or a group or something. Praying is wonderful. Uh, uh, and praying together is more wonderful. Uh, do a study, a book, a series, something. But just zero in. Make it your heart's desire to get a hold of that love. Amen. I think I'm finished. I think the Lord is, is finished. Uh, will you change something? Change something? Will you, will, could, could, is it possible for you to take that, this idea of just knowing His love and make that the reason you live? The, the, the number one, what you're going to prioritize. After a while, by the way, it does become second nature. You're just always about it and you don't even know you're, you know, I, I never think to myself, hmm, I must know the love of God. Because I'm just, you know, somebody says, oh, there's a meeting over here where the joy is breaking out. I'm like, got to go to me. Can I, give me some of that right there. What do you got? Good. I'll take some of that. You know, you kind of become, you're like that lady with the alabaster. You know, you're like, oh, Jesus is in town? Uh, but at first, you've got to make it a priority. You've got to kind of uh, uh, start with the hunger. Amen. Uh, let's just pray together. And I want to I pray for you. I just want to pray that... Uh, 
I don't want to pray that God will do for you what he's done for me because that might be short-sighted. But I want to pray that he'll at least do that. I pray that you'll just go much further than I'll ever go. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for your great love. And uh, (laughs) thank you for being here with us. We ask you, Lord, to uh, drop this word deep into us. We, we see clearly now, we're standing right now and we're in a point of clarity. And we see, we see the importance of knowing your love. You've, uh, you've said it to us and we, we see it. God, guide us now in making decisions. I pray, Lord, as the, that we, you'll, you'll, you'll set our hearts to dreaming on how we can love you more. How we can know your love. How can we, we can stand under that spout. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll give us ideas to... Uh, I don't know, to go over your great and precious promises, uh, over the great inheritance we have, over your great mercy, that these themes will, will uh, uh, just pervade us, God, that our minds and, uh, will, will be overcome first and, the, and our hearts will, will know this love. Or I pray, I just join and I amplify and I restate Paul's prayer. I pray, Lord, that we will have power together with all the saints just to grasp the dimensions of your love. And we want to know it. God, we're asking to know the unknowable. We want to know your love. I want, to, I want our generation to go in deeper than it's ever been in. We want to, we want to see more. We want, to, we want to know more. We want to be more in love. We want to be more loving. God, we want your love to pour out of us. So we need your love to pour into us. Oh, God. Open up our bandwidth on both ends. Cause us to, to receive more love. More, Lord. Just, just download on us. I pray you'll break in. And I pray for this uh, session coming up with Greg and the, uh, the Father's heart. Make our hearts receptive. Make us wide open, Lord, so that everything you have to say to us, we receive. God, I pray for all my friends. And, and this one thing I... I I pray for them is that they may know your love more and more. That you open the eyes of their hearts so they can see and know and experience the great love you have for us. We agree together. We say amen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.